Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, of course, with Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? Doing well, Erica. It's a beautiful day. We just concluded a fire drill. I was a little worried. <laughs> back to podcast. Well, as we just talked about, it's always better for it to be a drill than to be an actual fire. So we're, we're glad you're able to, you were so able to make it this week. Well, I knew they told me it was a drill, so I didn't have to take my gear outside to the car <laughs> to do it. But we have Mike Roos today. This should be an exciting one. Yes, yes. Welcome, Mike. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So Mike um, Gross is the editor of Fifth Domain and C4ISRNet, which I'm going to let you break down that acronym, um, Eric, because you're much better at it than I am. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try here. So uh, uh, Command, Control, Computer, Communications, um, the ISR is intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and the net, I believe, stands for network. Yes, Correct, that's Mike? great. Perfect. Wow. That's a mouth. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot. It's a lot. Well, well, again, Mike, thanks for joining us this week on the podcast. So, you know, we um, have, Eric and I have both read a number of your articles and, um, you know, you really have touched on some very fascinating topics around cybersecurity. So I know I have a couple of things I want to ask you about, but um, one of the things that we were just talking about in sort of our, our prep before was some of the messaging around cybersecurity. I know you have some thoughts on what gets lost. And I would assume, especially from a, um, an editor's perspective and someone who, who writes and covers these topics, you know, you're always probably thinking about what is the message that you want to um, get out of any, anything that's being published um, yeah. in, in terms of you know, cybersecurity as it relates to you know, government, threats, things like that. So what, what, sure. is, how, what, is, what is the message you think we need to make sure that's, that's clear as it comes to cybersecurity? Because there's so much info out there right now. Yeah, I think the first thing is when when we talk about you know what are the threats to uh, to the federal government, and I know it's it's said so often it's almost cliche, but you know so often people are talking about the human threat and you know the mistakes people made, and that can in, that can include um, you know something as simple as phishing, which is why that. Uh, you know, appears to be be so successful or or malware. But you know, even um, you know anyone who scrolls their social media feeds, you'll see, oh, look at what these hackers did. And it's you know not people within the cybersecurity community, but there is this culture of fear about hacking and and, and cyber. And so I think not necessarily with cybersecurity professionals but within the the government there is, there is kind of this um, to me it's it's this concern that that it's it's almost all or nothing like mm-hmm. oh don't open this email because something bad will happen or or don't do this because you know you could lose everything and i feel i feel like maybe the everything's become so binary either good or bad or catastrophic you know, or healthy in that, that maybe the, the degree to which we talk about uh, a lot of cybersecurity needs to change where it's almost uh, like health. You know, we hear so much about cyber hygiene, but it's more like, 
hey, I'm not feeling well today. Like, hey, the system's not doing too well today versus, hey, this system's on life support and it's, it needs to go to, to the ICU. And so that's where I think some of the messaging gets lost, where it's like, hey, if you click on this link, is that going to lead to catastrophic failure? Well, like maybe it will, maybe it won't. But I don't think those nuances are maybe um, appropriately talked about, uh, especially when it comes to training within within the federal government. We see a ton of that. I mean, NIST puts out their guidelines. Things yep. are very black and white. And when I meet with government customers, it's very black and white. It's it's checklist driven where they don't step back. And we've had several podcasts on it. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of discussions with peers in the industry. We don't bring perspective to bear. It's it's a checklist, right? You do security yep. by checklist. And the one thing I think we know is that never works, right? When you, when you do the checklist, but you don't actually think about it. We were talking to Chase Cunningham a couple of weeks ago from Forrester, you know, an, an analyst who, who's looking at zero trust. And he talked about cloud-enabled misery, right? You <laughs> you end up having to go to the cloud. So what do you do? You just shove everything up there and check the box and hope for the best. And it's really a checklist, right? Somebody said you need to go to the cloud, so you go to the cloud. We're, we're seeing that right now with uh, with zero trust, machine learning, artificial yep. intelligence. You've got to almost check that box so that you you meet your goals or you're, you're in line with your boss or your organization. But you're absolutely right, Mike. Yeah, and it, it just seems, you know, and one of the phrases we've heard a lot the last couple of years is, is layered defense. And I think people um, expect that to be, you know, 100% perfection. And there is, there is no such thing as, I mean, you guys know this, there's no such thing as perfection in this business. It's just, you get, you get closer and closer to, to an ideal. And, and it's, like I said, it, it just feels, it, it feels like it's not healthy for users, uh, because I think it probably creates this culture of fear and creates people where people uh, creates a culture where people are probably acting apprehensively, meaning from acquisitions all the way down to users. And, and I, I just wonder if that does, I wonder if there are ways to improve that dialogue so people know not that they want to make mistakes, but they know like, all right, I did something. It's better to report it. And it's not the end of the world. And uh, we can solve this. It's the same as, you know, it's like falling down and scraping your knee. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as someone, uh, you know, losing a vital organ. Yeah, no, to your point, it's not binary, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you're never going to totally beat the adversary. And that's many times the way we look at it, where we have to keep them out at all costs. Well, we know the adversary, a determined adversary, especially nation state, we know they're going to get in. So how do we do the best we can to prevent them, to, to, to delay them, to understand once they're in what to do. And we need that open culture, that open, that, that ability to, to be able to say, Hey, we have a problem here and let's rally around our people and, and, and address it right away. Not, we're not going to report it. We're not going to deal with it. So I I have a follow-up to Erica's question though. How do you feel the government is doing on cyber messaging? Who's the best at it? Uh, That's a good question. Wow. Um, You led me into it, Erica. It's all you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Who's the best at it? You know, I think, you know, NIST is maybe the most consistent at it. And, and so I think, uh, 
if we're looking at, hey, we know we know the guidelines are going to be here. We know they're looking at them. We know they're studying them. I feel like from that sense, you kind of know what you're going to get. I think what we've seen at least the last couple years is across the government. It's, everything's changing so fast. And, and actually, I just uh, wrote an op-ed on this where, oh, there's a new cyber strategy. There's uh, U.S. Cyber Command is now a combatant command. There's a new there's now CISA over mm-hmm. at the Department of Homeland Security. Um, what I think is important is, yes, it's great all of these uh, agencies and organizations are evolving. I think the concern is, uh, is the rubric uh, changing as well? Or with each one of these new starts or tweaks, are we kind of taking our eye off of what we're hoping to accomplish you know, and how are, months we, ago how are we well, yeah. measuring even, right? Right. And I think that gets back to my original point. And, and so I, that's, that's kind of where I start, where I think things get a little hazier and it, it gets uh, a little more obtuse because you don't know, oh, well, does this same, does this same measuring stick that we had nine months ago, does that count for anything now? Or so as, because, a, as a member of the media, what do you, what would you like to see? Um, you know, I think I. You know, let me let me tell you an example. I'm not particularly happy with right now, and, and I, what I'd like to good. see is just more more <laughs> candid conversation. And you know, the Navy, for example, has talked um, pretty explicitly recently about uh, well, we need we need to do more with cybersecurity. Their secretary talked about a giant cybersecurity review, but we've seen almost no discussion beyond. You know, quite frankly, platitudes from mm-hmm. them about cyber. Like, hey, what are you? What specifically are you doing? Like, let's have some senior leaders. Let's make them available to explain on a you know day to day or quarter to quarter basis where you are seeing seeing progress and where we're seeing changes. Now, let me let me say on the flip side, um, you know, U.S. Cyber Command. Well, I think we've all would always like to see more. We've they had. Um, a media day for the first time. Oh, uh, interesting. You know, earlier this this fall or late summer. So I think there there are steps being made. Obviously, across the civilian side of federal government, there are some agencies that are much more responsive than others. Um, but you know what? What I really and, like. And to why see is that is, though? Do you think it's a balance of trying to you know the to protect the level of transparency, or is it just yeah you know? And not, I think people just have different priorities. You know, there mm-hmm. are certain companies and certain you know it, it's like leadership everywhere. I don't think the government is unique in the sense that there are some agencies that value talking about this more than than others and. Um, you know, just like there are some editors who are willing to talk about their publications and some that aren't and some, you know, you see it with sports teams. Some some yeah. folks are like Bill Belichick and don't want to answer <laughs> right. questions give, or Greg give Popovich. Nothing away. And then there are, there are some who are, you know, uh, what was the example a couple of weeks ago? Deshaun Watson explaining, you know, everything he saw in a, in a play. So I think there are – I think that's just kind of human nature. But um, there, there is certainly – there's certainly room to clearly explain your metrics, to talk about why you chose those metrics, and to talk about what kind of progress progress you're making and how you're doing it. And the other, you know, to me, the biggest point is, um, especially for what we're covering, this is this is federal money. Like, the, yeah. you know, we're not saying we need every dollar accounted for publicly, but there is there is a sense of you're spending uh, taxpayer money, like. 
and a lot of money a lot of money um, you should be able to explain what it's going toward uh, without giving away operational details. Well, it's interesting. We've also had a lot of, oh, go ahead, Eric. I was just going to say it's interesting because we've had a few um, great government guests on the podcast, and those have been um, some of our most popular um, episodes. And so, you know, we've had um, Chris Krebs, we've had Karen yep. Evans from Energy, um, yep. we've had Sanjay Gupta, CIO of SBA. And, and I think people want to hear, you know, certainly, uh, you know, and, and not just always, um, the script, but actually hear them in a, you know, conversational discussion about what the strategy is, how it's measuring, what keeps them up at night, how things are progressing. So hopefully that's encouraging to more, um, government leaders, officials in this area to, you know, share and discuss, because I think there certainly is a, uh, a desire by even the general public <laughs> to hear yeah, more. I, would, I thought that was a play, plea to get them to come on the podcast. <laughs> well, it is. It was. It was also <laughs> anyone listening out there that's in government. That come would on, like to come be on and tell your story. <laughs> I, w- I would say I think the reason, you know, almost all of those examples for the reason they've been successful is because they can communicate mm-hmm. their message and they can communicate uh, what they're looking for, not just within their agency, but with all, but also to, to industry. And, 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 and so I think that that's a good example. I would also say they might in like, uh, let me, this is just me being, uh, a, a bit of a, of, uh, an opportunist, I guess, is there would be people who would say, Hey, the reason they, they're listening to those are the most popular episodes is because that's where they feel like they're going to get the most insight into how they're thinking about mm-hmm. acquisition and new contracts and, mm-hmm. and their thought leaders and people want to, people want to get something out of it. We don't spend time on products or, or acquisition typically, but definitely messaging yep. and, and, you know, messaging strategic intent that communicating that to your people, to the businesses around you. I mean, it's one of the primary components of leadership also. Yep. So, so Mike, I want to switch it up for you a little bit. I know you've written a ton on space. I mean, that's a big part of, of what you do space or cyber, which is more interesting. Um, so I'll tell you the first, one of the first, um, cyber lunches I sat down at, um, I was sitting next to someone from, um, from the library of Congress CIO's office and they said, oh, uh, I small space you. budget, very yes. small space budget. <laughs> right. And they said, um, what do you, you know, what did you cover before you did this? And I said, oh, I covered space. And they said, oh, well, this is the exact opposite because <laughs> space moves so slow, uh, particularly from from a you know, an acquisition standpoint that, you know, it can be five, seven years before from when you see an RFP to when you see something launch into space. And in, or, or even cyber, much longer. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so with cyber, you know, we're, we're, you know, I think probably we all see similar LinkedIn feeds where someone says, "Oh, we can get this done in ninety days," and they say, "Ninety days? Are you kidding me? Like that's not, that's not nearly fast enough." And right. so, uh, I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest change. Okay. Okay. Which one do you think has the most? Which one's most likely to damage the country or, or where do you see the biggest threat? Maybe that's the better question. Um, I think space probably has um, – I think it would probably take less to go wrong in space for there to be really catastrophic uh, – really catastrophic damage. Um, you know, one – the right satellite in the right orbit, you know – 
either purposefully or accidentally uh, splitting up would could be really, really uh, troublesome. Um, but I think it's probably more likely that something would happen uh, on the cyber side. Yeah, I think you you wrote an article, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but I mean, a that's a big red line if you, you take out a satellite. Oh, yeah. In cyber, it's, you know, I don't even know that we have a line. The line seems to move like the, uh, like the chains on a yeah. football field, right? Sometimes right. you cross a line, sometimes you didn't. Depends who it was. And, and massively catastrophic consequences can come out of it also. Well, we talk, you know, I feel like with cyber, we talk almost exclusively about the gray zone and we don't talk about, you know, where that line is and, and, yeah. and what happens when it's, it's all gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's that's the point. It's all gray. So um, I, it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting time, especially with uh, certainly a more assertive posture by by cyber command in the White House the last couple of years. Agreed. Agreed. So my, I, I have one other topic I just wanted to um, ask you about based upon another article I, I recently sure. read by you. It's the the um, the article you wrote about the fake Twitter accounts in government. Right. Yeah, actually, that was a great one. <laughs> just tell tell our listeners if they haven't read the article, we'll include it in our, our, our show notes. But um, I, I was just fascinated. I guess I you, you hear you hear a lot about people creating fake Twitter accounts, but I'll be honest with you. I hear more about it on sort of the celebrity, <laughs> like the fake right. Kim Kardashian, you know, account versus a cyber command, you know, official or something like that. So, yeah. And then when I was reading it, I was like, wow, you know, it, it, there really is a lot of threat potential here. Um, especially because we do live in an age where someone can read something on Twitter and take it as, as facts and, you know, and as, yeah. as truth. Um, probably a few years ago, you know, we wouldn't put as much weight um, on things that are, you know, on Twitter. But now we see, I mean, even when you're watching the news, right, they're reporting right. so-and-so yeah, on Twitter. I'm going to correct this. you for a second. People do read things on Twitter and Facebook and social media and take it as fact. Yeah, that's what I that was All about. the time. Right, exactly. exactly. Not just can, they do. In oh, fact, yes, they you do. Know, we, yeah. know our, we know our adversaries, whether it's somebody running a political campaign inside the states or nation states coming after us. We know that they're actively spreading incorrect data out there. Yeah. Incorrect information. And I think, you know, and I, I, I think that maybe that doesn't get sometimes the attention it deserves because we think about, again, that binary catastrophic hack and we think of, oh, well, my lights aren't going to, If you know, this was really a, a devastating hack. My lights won't turn on in the morning or there won't be electricity at my house. But there's all, you know, there, it can be devastating in, in lots of smaller ways. And maybe that's death by a thousand cuts. But part of it is this, this spread of misinformation. And, and so the story that, that you mentioned, Erica, was about, um, we had noticed that the Defense Department using their official Twitter accounts was kind of warning people not to, to only follow official DOD accounts for, for some of their, uh, for some of their leadership. And they explicitly mentioned what their um, Twitter handles were. And we thought, you know, that's kind of a, (laughs) of an odd statement to just make out of the blue. And, you know, we didn't nail it down to a, to a specific example, but what has, has happened is that a lot of, um, 
a lot of imposter accounts had had popped up for uh, not you know including some of the most senior DoD leaders, but also you know not everyone knows who the uh, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is and, exactly, and, the, and those are the types of accounts um, that that were popping up. And the concern that uh, the concern is, you know, okay, maybe you you follow that account, and then maybe that, and you guys know how this trail goes. Maybe it leads to someone. DMing you and then asking you to to send this email and then maybe you have an email you didn't have or maybe you have um, you see a pattern of who these people follow and you think this is the real account and then you work at an, uh, an Air Force base in Colorado and you end up retweeting the wrong account and mm-hmm. it just it creates chaos as opposed or just even confusion or even you know planting a seed of like wait a minute didn't the Air Force say this or didn't the the vice chairman and the joint chiefs say this, and it just it it can perpetuate itself, and that's that's where the real danger is. And so I think um, one of the things we're seeing now, and, and and I'm sure you guys have noticed this is is you know more of these reputation managers online, and more of the folks that will uh, you know use AI to say like, hey, this doesn't look like the type of account um, that you would ordinarily tweet or retweet about, or or this isn't the type of information that you would say, even, you know, even something like, oh, this, you know, you might not think like, oh, this is a big deal. you got this account at this base and it's not, and they might say, oh, well, today's a snow day. Everyone stay home. It's like, well, that could create, right. <laughs> that could create a lot of confusion and, right. and yes. a lot of potentially a lot of problems. And, and a very relatively benign comment, but you could keep parts of the government workforce at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like craziness. I mean, imagine if there was actually a concerted effort with a different type of cyber attack, misdirection, feeding the American people. I mean, the best story I, I read about was years ago, the uh, you know the the Russians actually started a a uh, a protest. Nobody even attended. Right? They had they they brought both sides of the, of the American people to the protest. Yes, <laughs> from Russia. Yes. Wow. Like, I mean, think about think about the power of that. I mean, that disinformation, you know, that's why we need a free press. But we we also need solid information coming out. Um, But, Mike, I want to switch gears on you. I I, I do have a question. I know we're running short on time here. I saw in your resume or your CV, you were working for the Virginian pilot back in the day. And there was something that stood out to me. There's a bullet in there that says told stories about people unlikely to appear in the newspaper. Oh, I got wow. it. What was that about? Yeah. So, um, I have, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of folks come out of journalism school or come out of college and they say, um, you know, like for example, I spend a lot of time learning about federal acquisition and writing about federal. No one says like, Oh, federal acquisition is what kind of like news I'm going to break. <laughs> but it, it, you know, once you get into it, it's, it's really fascinating. There are, right. there are great stories, but, I spent 10 years working in, in Norfolk at the Virginia Pilot. Uh, my job was I wrote a column uh, for the, the feature section, and it was about, you know, it wasn't about the people who were traditionally in the news. It was about, um, you know, people that were kind of living, that were having exceptional things happen to them or, or doing exceptional things, but might be, um, 
you know, might just be like your neighbor. So, the, like you know, people. one that, yeah. So, you know, sometimes they were very, um, you know, sometimes they were lighthearted, but, you know, like a, a four-year-old who had lost, uh, you know, a teddy bear and the seven stages of grief that they were associated with that. Or, you know, um, we wrote about how they brought Wi-Fi to the new light rail down or how they weren't going to have Wi-Fi in the new light rail down there. And I kind of made a case and they ended up adding it later. Or um, the other joke I I tell is that, um, you know, they brought they didn't have shamrock shakes in southeastern Virginia for a while. And I used the column and complained about it. And then the marketing team. Yeah. You know, the McDonald's shamrock shakes, the mint shakes. And so they, (laughs) you know, but that it's and it's it was very lighthearted. I mean, there were I did tackle more serious topics sometimes, but it was a great opportunity to have fun in, in the day to day uh, business. And, you know, my thinking is, and it still is, is that, that news does not need to be 100%, um, blood and doom and gloom and corruption. And that, that, that part of the role of a journalist is to be a documentarian or a historian and to show how we live on a day-to-day basis. And so if part of it is showing, Hey, here are the kind of fast food things that we love in weird ways and writing an ode to his shamrock shake, or if it's, you know, talking about how we cherish stuffed animals or, you know, why we're selling a wedding dress on Craigslist, you know, things like that. Those are, that was, that was life. fun. Yeah. I feel like life. you wrote, I th- feel like you wrote about life. Yeah. And that's, that's what I try and get out. Now I will say, um, and the reporters who work with me sometimes get sick of me talking about it, is that I think the best, um, cybersecurity coverage and best military coverage that folks are doing here in DC is is the coverage that talks about people and programs. But I think it's very easy, especially in the B two B trade space, to just talk about programs and mm-hmm. say this program is six months behind. This program is going to cost ten point two million dollars. An RFP is going to come out in this state. An RFI is going to come out. Oh, uh, you're this state. boring me already. I know. And then, but it's there are some really fascinating minds in this space, and to see how they got to where they got and what they're doing, you know, to try and explain what they're doing and why they're doing it behind the scenes and what drives them, and you know, I think that's where I think that's where you can tell some really great stories. So maybe one of the things going forward with Fifth Domain, you can. Uh, bring some human human perspectives to the cyber story. Why it's so tough to get caught up. You know, what a day in the life of a, of a PFC who's in charge of the cyber program, you know, maybe not in charge, but it, but actually doing the implementation work yep. or the O&M at a given program, you know, what that looks like. Yeah, and why, the, and why they were, you know, I think one of the things that drives me absolutely bonkers is, especially at kind of the program manager level that, um, everyone's kind of viewed as a cog and that it's like, Oh, well, we're replacing this person with that person. And it's like, like you know, a checklist. We started mm-hmm. yeah. the conversation. Mm-hmm. And with. it's, they have an exceptional skill set. Like and they're that, people. And so they might say like, well, this person's really good at keeping a program on deadline. And it's like, well, how, how do you know? Show me, prove to me they do it. And they're like, well, let me show you. They, uh, they woke up. They wake up at four thirty every morning, and they have a checklist next to their bed, and it has these seven things. Every night before they go to bed, they do X, Y, and Z. They walk around their entire 
workspace and talk to each person before they leave, whatever it is. I want to show, I want someone to show me those details rather than just say, you know, that she's a good project manager. Well, there, there, lots of people are good project managers do more than that. And so I think that's yeah. a real, cha- that's a real challenge and it's uncomfortable and we're not used to talking that way, especially in the B2B press about, and, and make, no one wants to be, um, kind of, uh, a character or a cult of person, you know, become a cult of personality. But that's, that's partially how a lot of folks succeed is they, there are big personalities here. And, and I think the best coverage can do a better job exploring them as people. It's interesting because, uh, Eric usually always asks our guests at the end, um, you know, look, you have a big job, you're, it's a serious job. It's a lot of pressure. What do you do to sort of decompress, to, you know, release stress, to balance everything. And we've gotten some really interesting answers. I mean, I, I think one of our favorites is, um, Chris Krebs told us he, he bikes to work every single day, 365 days a year. (laughs) And so he said, that's his time to really, you know, he has a lot of, he's a big family as well. And so that allows him to kind of have that separation between when he leaves and, and gets home. So, yeah. Um, it's been interesting to, to hear. We know you're a runner. We heard that we learned that yep. about you earlier. And so it's, it's, it's great to kind of get that human aspect, um, especially for, you know, in, in this space where I do think it can sometimes seem like everyone's very techie and, you know, yeah, but you think, well, Erica, we've blown through a, another, uh, 15 minute promise session. Uh, we'll have to apologize to our listeners, you know, one day we'll hit 15 minutes, but it's so interesting always. I know, Mike, I know. Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you That's uh, all right. You were going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, you look at like what a big job uh, Chris Krebs has. And it's like if you're biking to work 365 days a year or every business day of the year, like there's a certain like steely determination there that that you get. And it's like you can see that on those rainy cloudy, snowy days in DC. If you can do that, like you're, you're going to push hard to do lots of other things. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, Erica, until next week. Until next week. Th- thanks. Actually, I had one request. I was going to put you on the spot, Mike. <laughs> okay. Let's I was going to ask, like- um, would love to have you back and maybe you could tell us, um, uh, you know, maybe towards the end of the year, which is not that far off, but uh, two or three of your, your best or most interesting cyber stories um, of the year, really, but based upon the people, not the, the program. So yeah. that, that kind of sparked mine when you when you were breaking that. That's down. a good challenge. I yeah. like it. <laughs> You're up so, for it, Mike. I'm up for it. It's like a marathon. Right. You got to prep a little bit. You got to prepare, but you can do it. Six months. <laughs> exactly. Six months from now. <laughs> the date. No, it's it's take you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Mike. We Gotta appreciate be human, that. though. <laughs> yep. We appreciate you having you on the podcast. Thank you to all the listeners. Um, please continue to tune in and to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend or colleague, and let us know um, what you want us to talk about. Until next week, that's To The Point Cybersecurity. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 